You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Took you three clicks to get it to record, Bracken. Two clicks. I heard two three. clicks. Kirk, I got a I got a strangely timed text from you. Yeah, tell me about it. What were you doing awake at 3.30 in the morning? What was it? What do you mean, strangely timed text? What would be weird about sending you a text at 3.30 in the morning? I mean, were you still up from the night before on a bender? Or were you are you getting it early? No, it was a booty call, Bracken. <laughs> a booty call. A booty. No, <laughs> I was I was up grocery shopping, like a good responsible American citizen in these times. At three thirty in the morning. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, and I'll tell you what, I will do it all over again because it was the most blissful grocery shopping experience I've had in my entire life. I had an entire store to myself. Was this a quarantine-induced panic? Like you just had to get there before any of the contagious people were, or did it just work out this way? Uh, I set my alarm for 5 a.m. to plan to go to the grocery store earlier than most people. But like getting up at 5 a.m. is not like a big deal to me because I would get up that early to go to work. Uh, but I woke up to take a pee at like 3 a.m. and I was like, eh, fuck it. I'm already awake. Let's just go now. So I woke up my girlfriend, Jess, out of a dead sleep. And I said, we're going to the grocery store. How did she react to that? I would not have reacted well if Lisa was like, hey, it's 3.30. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> uh, bless her heart. She's one of the more patient humans I, uh, I've ever met. She was happy to get up, got up, brushed her teeth, went to the grocery store, um, and everything was good. Wow. Was good. Yeah, it was quite a, quite a morning. I don't even do that for Black Friday. Yeah, but man, I'll tell you what. It was so like non-stressful. It was fantastic. I'd highly recommend it to everybody. Where, where did you go that has 24-hour grocery shopping available? Well, most of the city grocery stores have limited windows now, but there's two Cub Foods in the Minneapolis uh, metro. Cub yeah. Foods. 20, 24 hours. 20, and everything was fully stocked. Everything was like, you know, none of the shelves were bare because they'd like done all their stock work overnight. It was worth it. Worth it. Yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. What are you, uh, what have you been up to this morning? What time did you wake up, Bracken? I woke up at 6.56. Why 6.56? That's just when the, the spirit woke me. The spirit, <laughs> <That's it. laughs> All right. What, I've been what going, it, I've been rolling no alarm clock since quarantine. I really need to get back to, to getting up, but I've been sleeping in. Aren't your kids your alarm clock, I assume? They can be, but uh, generally I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to get out of, when I'm doing morning workouts, I have to do it like, an hour before their natural wake up time. So uh, we have wood floors in our house and things creak. And if I hit the wrong spot and if they stir like an hour or more before their bedtime, their normal wake up, they'll just go back to sleep. But if it's under an hour before normal wake up, then they'll they'll wake up or have to pee or whatever. And then they're just up and then you have a crabby kid by noon. So, so I, I, you hit that gray zone where it's like, if I'm not at least an hour before their wake up time, then it's like, I've missed my window. 
Really? So is waking up at 6.56 hitting your window or missing your window? That's missing the window. Ah. One or two is already awake. Um, and then the third that could sleep all day, but it's the first two that matter. <laughs> yeah. Crap. Well, you still stuck in a run. Yeah, I did. I did. I did my first interval session, Kirk. You did. That's a big deal, man. How did it feel? Uh, pretty bad. Both of my knees were achy. What? I'm hoping it's just, that well, you're over 30 now. So that's probably I'm over 30. I'm me. hoping it's just that I'm not used to hitting the ground. You go outside. I did. I, I went, uh, I took the, the IROX. IROX out and I went on some grass um, and I did 100 meter intervals with 50 meter float in between at 5k pace. Just like <laughs> micro dosing speed in a, in a way that will not tax my knee too heavily, but just like starting to get used to that again. So your furthest you've run is a mile, I believe, straight up until this week, right? So how far did you go today? Total, I had... Um, 16 minutes of running today. So like three miles at least at your pace. <laughs> <laughs> um, I bet I got 2.7, 2.8. So you worked hard. That's awesome. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe two and a half, but that that's, that's double the longest I've ever gone. So now I get myself a recovery day tomorrow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You've earned it. You've earned it. Not <laughs> two and a half mile quality day. <laughs> wow. You're crushing life over there, man. Well, for me, I'm not running at all this week. I decided I'm taking a rest week. I'm going to bury you in Strava mileage this week. No, I'm going to be stuck at zero. So you win already. That's right. Yeah. I got a, I got a, a message, Kirk, from a, a listener, and it was a very intelligent question. It said, what I want to hear about is exactly what you would recommend for how to approach the rest of the season. So like, yeah, you talked about, yeah, you could build volume or you could work on weaknesses. Like that's all well and good, but we have normally a 10 to 11 month race season that culminates in world championships a month and a half apart. And now we're going to have a four to five month race season, which is basically like a normal cross country or indoor outdoor track or triathlon or any of the major race circuits season. So what would you recommend doing right now so that we're ready for a normal compressed race season? And I thought that that was a great question. It is. That's a fantastic question. And even, you know, coaches like Bracken and I or other people, we, you know, we're, we're kind of moving puzzle pieces and trying to scratch our head a little bit too because of the unknown of what's coming up. We don't know when we're starting races again. We don't know how to periodize our training necessarily because we don't have like even a race on the calendar. So now we're in this gray area of like, how do I continue like moving forward or progressing with my fitness, but not peaking too soon, but not losing too much fitness and still being ready on undisclosed rate date. It's like a very confusing thing to look at. And uh, we thought it'd be a fantastic idea to dive into that because there's like a lot of ways you could go with this right now. I feel like, um, don't you agree? I do. And periodized training is one of like the standard, like prove time tested and proven ways of training for all all sports, but especially endurance sports, except OCR, because it gets tweaked so much with the length of our season. Very few people give like the standard periodized build for one or two big peaks a year. Uh, and, and so no matter how often people have been training and used to writing their own training or coaches are used to writing this, they may not be as sharp on their uh, their theory for actually setting up a normal periodized schedule, which would be kind of just like the bread and butter of marathoning or road racing or track or cross country. 
Yeah. Yeah. And for you guys who don't know, I guess, you know, we'll probably be using the word periodized a lot in this episode. Uh, you might not know what it means. Periodized is really just like a trendy word to to describe how you set up your training and your build so you peak and perform your best at the right time. So a periodized training plan would have you building to a race or races that are important to you. And then you'd show up ready to go because you've outlined your entire lead up to perform well at a certain event or a few certain events. And so that's why there's a big wrench thrown in what the heck to do right now. Cause we don't even, like I said, have a date on the calendar. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to start this conversation with the, the first question that comes to mind is if we don't know when we're racing next, I want to know when, when are you taking a recovery or rest week or when ha have you already, are you planning one? Because right now I'm seeing a lot of people are stuck in the, let's just hammer the heck out of training. And then I'm going to have this new fitness and go into the next race, whenever that is. But you're forgetting that we're going to need some rest and recovery to actually maximize all of that training benefit. So when are you taking some rest, Bracken? Well, you're probably not, are you? Well, I'm in a strange boat where I'm coming off injury and surgery. And so I've had my rest. Um, but I think that people should take it sooner than later. Uh, you're taking it this week. I know a lot of people who took it a, a month ago, but I, I really have one opinion split into two paths. Um, the first is people that are kind of floundering and not sure about what to do. I'd say take your rest right now. Take your rest, even if it's just a week, and plan out. Use that week, all the extra energy you have, use it for planning and plan out the rest of your season. The other option is if you've had a big build, let's say you were prepping for Seattle or for a spring marathon or for whatever it was you were building towards, run some time trials. You've almost finished off your build. Maybe you have, finish it off, peak, taper, run a few test runs to get some real numbers down on paper and then take your, your recovery right then. And then that way you can take what you learn during that build, fine tune it and perfect it for your second build and peak for the, the fall season. But I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I do know about you. You're taking your, your week right yeah. now. But my recommendation to most people is get your rest and recovery out of the way now so that you can build for late summer, early fall. Yep. I love that. That's uh, I couldn't say that better myself. And you know, I experienced that. So um, the reason I chose to take my rest week this week and, and I would say if anything, and if you're one of my athletes, you're going to hear me preach this to you here in my next email or two to you, but I think you should take a good recovery week, at least at the latest by the end of April, maybe that first week in May, but no later than that. So you can restart your build. So time trialing is a great idea. And what I had done is I had done some peaking workouts on the track and some shorter, faster stuff. And then I went out and did a 15 mile run where I just wanted to go run like sub six pace and see what happened. And I actually scared myself a little bit. I was like, I'm getting in too good a shape right now. I know my fitness is good. And contradictorily enough, I was like, that's an indicator I need to shut it down right now and reset. Because I just had my race out on you know the roads myself. I was, you don't want to get in too good of shape too early. And when we talk about this recovery, we're talking to people who've been training consistently. Now, if you're one of those who's on that boat who like kind of trains and kind of doesn't, the quarantine is throwing you off and you've had some intermittent weeks, like this doesn't apply to you. You can continue to try to build. That's fine. We're talking about you guys who are out there really training hard. Um, and so for me, um, it made sense to take a recovery week now based on the fact that I could tell my fitness was popping. And I can't keep my fitness popping for four months. I don't know about you, Bracken, but I, I'm going to crash and burn at some point. So it made sense for me to pump the brakes. And I think a lot of you are in that boat. 
And that's why I wanted to make sure to hound on that recovery piece because um, take a reset, let your body recover. If you have any niggles or nagles or aches and pains, it's a good time now instead of pushing it off till later. Listening to you talk right there flashed me back like four years to a, the exact same conversation with Chad Trammell. Chad Trammell, for those who don't know him, is a, a la he used to be out of Seattle. Now he's an Alaska-based um, endurance athlete, and he was part of the original OCR scene. Can you still hear me, Kirk? Yep, I got you. Okay, you just froze. Okay, he was part yep. of the original OCR scene, and he was a successful runner and OCR athlete. And now he pretty much just does endurance racing, sky racing, that stuff. But after a race in May that year, he looked real good in the race. And afterwards on our cool down, we were talking. I said, so what's next for you? And he said, I need to take some time off. I, mm -hmm. I've been feeling too good lately. And I thought like, it's May. We have a couple more like national series races coming up. You just missed a podium by one spot here. Like this, this is your time. Go race. And he's like, no, I'm, I want to be good in fall. And I'm, I'm, I'm too sharp right now. Mm -hmm. And it struck me as really strange. And he took eighth in Worlds that year at Tahoe. I believe it was eighth. It was like sixth or eighth. He was top yeah. 10 at the Spartan World Championships in Tahoe in, was that, late September? Yep. Because he knew his body. He felt too good in May and thought, this is going to come too soon. And then I'm not going to be able to hold it. And all I can do then is tail off. So he took his tail off with a mini down week or two or three. And then he built back up and he got top 10 in the world. And it justified exactly what you're talking about. That is interesting. That doesn't surprise me. I know it's very, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my athletes, and I think yours too, are in like a good training groove right now. And we like that. That's good. People are popping workouts right now. They're feeling good. They're building confidence. And that's all good. But um eventually you have to think of the big picture and the big picture doesn't start probably until July our first races are coming back. If I were to guess at best. So, um, practicing that, that restraint at some point. And like the reason I think we're honing on that is because you might as well take your recovery sooner than later, just in case the race season starts sooner than we planned, or just, just to get it out of the way. Almost. I hate to use, describe it that way, but get it out of the way. If you've been training hard, you can take a rest week with not much backtrack in your fitness. Um, that's why I'm doing it this week. And I just want to talk, and I know we got to, we're going to dive into a build, like our general build pretty soon, but let's just talk quick about a recovery week. Like how do you approach a, a true recovery week for you? Well, you and I do two different things, which I think is perfect for the sake of conversation here. So what yeah. I do is I just, um, move entirely away from, from quality. And I just spend some time doing easy volume, either in the pool, on the bike, um, right now I have the stair mill and that's a great way that I can still tax my legs, but really not take any pounding or on the treadmill. But I, I have a day, uh, a minutes for the day that I want to hit 40 okay. minutes, 50 minutes and 60 minutes, uh, whatever it's going to be. And I've, and I choose whatever modality excites me for that day. If all I want to do is watch <laughs> Jack Ryan on Amazon prime that day, then it's got to be something like spin bike. Or hiking on the on the on the stairmaster, um, can't do that in the pool. So I hop on the spin bike and I yeah. watch that Amazon series that I'm binging right now. And if I feel like I am tired of staring at a wall, then maybe I'll get to the pool and work out. But I have no structure. I have time I'm trying to hit, and I just keep myself happy. I like that. No running at all. Uh, if if running makes me happy, it depends on what kind of down I'm doing. If it's like right now where we'd be coming off a build and I just want to back off of being sharp, I can go do easy trail running, you know, zone two, zone mm -hmm. one, like really easy stuff. 
But if I'm coming off a big season, um, I take no pounding during this time, no running. Okay. And I think you can, you know, if you know, if there's, if there's no races coming up in the near months, you can take a full rest week, like do absolutely nothing. I don't think now's a great time for that only because we potentially could race sooner than we think, but most likely not. I just, I don't know if I'd completely let go of working out for that recovery week for me. Um, I absolutely do not run, so I will not run a step this week. Um, and you know, the funny thing is, is Saturday was my last run this weekend. I went to the Afton Alps, which is like the hilliest trails in the Metro and I felt good. And I was enjoying out there. I'm like on a running high, like I'm pulling the rug out from underneath me when I'm enjoying running, which is like a strange thing to do. But, um, for my recovery weeks, I usually will hit three cardio bouts, no running, but I actually make them intense interval sessions. So I hit short, quick stuff on the assault bike. I did that yesterday. Um, I will probably add in some like OCR work in a sense where like I was on the assault bike, then I did burpees, assault bike, pull-ups. I think my heart rate got to like 178. I mean, I worked pretty hard on a couple of those intervals, um, but they're short bouts. I'm working for like a half hour, 45 minutes, and I'm just doing short, quick stuff. No easy zone one or two stuff. Um, just to keep my high end capacity up, but I'm already itching to run. It's only Tuesday. So like, I mean, you know, it's, it works for me. That's interesting. It's the dead opposite of what I do, but I like that. I haven't thought of doing that, but I, I like that concept for a mid season break because you lose your endurance way quicker. I mean, way slower than you lose your, your high end capacity. And yep. so you're doing stuff at, at faster than threshold pace. And that's the stuff that erodes quicker. So you're not taking any pounding, you're not mm -hmm. working any endurance, but you're making sure you don't erode your top system so that you can jump right back into it when you need to. I like that. Yeah. It, you know, I just think you should do, you should do whatever, whatever, you know, is going to like reset you. And for me, I could do any sort of cross training and it's going to make me crave running again and want to get back out there. So yeah, I don't think there's a magic formula. I just think this one works for me. And I think if I did a couple of easy, you know, longer efforts like you, I'm sure I'd feel chomping at the bit on Monday to get started running again too. So whatever, whatever suits your fancy, but those are two options you could go with. I like it. I do yep. like that. Um, and so we, we, we finished this, we either do some time trialing and then take time off, or we're already feeling burnt or sharp and we take some time off. A bunch of my athletes have just completed time trials or are about to do it. And then they're taking their time. Yep. to rebuild back up. Not everyone gets a down week or two because not everyone needs it, Yep. but the rebuild. And I think the rebuild is what people want to hear about right now. Yep. Not, I think I was specifically told I want to hear about how you'd build back up. So uh, just reading through the news, uh, the NBA commissioner just announced that they don't foresee any, a, any ability to make a decision on when play resumes until May. So if they don't have the information to make a decision until May, that means they won't start games for at least a month, probably June, right? Oh, yeah. And and if May is the earliest you could possibly, let's just say that if the one of the mo hot, most high-profile, biggest money sports in the world, May is there, we might be able to start making a decision. June, we start playing maybe. Let's just bump us back a month. Fair, yeah. So let's say July are the first races and – uh, you have what August, September, October, November would be kind of like that big championship build where they, the national series end. you have regional races and then the worlds in September or October, November, December, and that range between OCR Worlds, Spartan and, and uh, High Rocks. Yeah. So you basically want to be race fitness by July, 
and championship fitness by November. Yeah. And here we are in the beginning of April talking yeah. about this. Well, what does this remind you of? What does this feel like to you? Yeah, we talked about this earlier. This feels you're actually going to be listening to two guys who have done this almost same timeline a number of times in our career through collegiate cross country or collegiate track. Our build would be roughly three months before we even started doing harder workouts or started to even think about racing. And we had a two to three month racing season and we shut it down. In, in total, we're looking at like a six month span and in between like building and then racing and peaking, we're probably looking at somewhere around the same for this. So we've been yeah. through it. So let's just pretend that this is no different than track or cross country. Cross country, uh, you finished track in, in end of May in college. You have June, July, August, basically, of base building. Yep. And then September is your transition period in, in the first month of college. Uh, st classes starting up in training. And then um, October, basically October, November, you're racing. Yeah. And the, and correct. And when we're talking about base building, so basically after we take, you've taken your rest, which we talked about, we're going to go into sort of a base building phase. This can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but the one thing you want to make sure you are not doing in that base building phase is like getting yourself in too good of peak racing shape too early. Right. Yeah. So it's like, how do we still build a base in which we can build our fitness on and race even better than we ever have? But the base building is the first phase of that whole deal. Yeah. So what base building looks like, and, and since we're treating this just like track across country, I would say six to nine weeks of base building. That takes you through April and through May. If yep. you want to extend even farther and you're playing the long game for just getting ready for world championships, then you also uh, build all the way through June. But April, May, maybe June, six to nine weeks of starting to raise your overall training volume higher and laying the groundwork for the real work that's to come. That's what I look at what base building is. Base building is training to train. It's the yeah. training needed to get ready for the real training that's to come. And so, yeah, you do some interval and some speed work in small dosage or in um, with with uh, paces that aren't going to get you super fit and sharp. Do Do lots of threshold work if you want to or just one threshold work in a workout or one speed workout per week. Just keep a yep. lot of time in between the workouts, but you put your emphasis on building your aerobic volume up, getting your long run built up and doing some strides, uh, the occasional speed workout or threshold workout, working on your skill work, heavy carries at a mm -hmm. maintainable pace, hill workout, ascending and descending at maintainable efforts in order to absorb the real training that comes next. That's how I look at it, training to train. Yeah. And the bigger, you know, I like to use this analogy, but the, you know, when you look at the the base of a pyramid, we'll call this base building, the bigger the base to your pyramid, the higher your pyramid can ulti ultimately be built. So let's use that as a fitness analogy. So if we put in a solid amount of proper base work now, our peak fitness should be higher when it matters. So doing relevant base building right now is is sort of king. Um, so let's talk about then, let's talk about you taking your rest week. We're jumping into the first two to three weeks. What are you doing with your first two to three weeks of training back into running? First two to three weeks, I I slow play things. I err on the side of caution. Yep. So if I think like, yeah, I could comfortably run an hour. 
what I like to think of is that everyone should eventually get to the point where they can run an hour every day if they had to without any negative side effects. I think once you can get to that point, anytime you run, that if you can make it an hour, that you're ready for a super or a beast or a sprint, you can kind of run the the whole gamut with that. But so let's say I want to be at an hour every day and two hours on my long runs. I probably start at half to two thirds of that or whatever I think my, let's say I'm an athlete who doesn't do that. I want to get to 40 minutes per day. I start at half to two thirds of that time and probably air closer to half for the first two weeks and just get time in on my feet. What I don't do personally is I don't remove number of days. I remove uh, the, the duration. So I keep the frequency of what I'm going to keep in my peak. So if I'm going to run six days a week at my peak, I run six days a week early. I just reduce duration on those days. So I might be running 20 to 30 minutes every day with a 60 minute long run or a 70 minute long run for my first two weeks. And after I get a feel for how my body reacts to that, then I know exactly how much I can start bumping up for my next block. Yep. Yeah. Continually exposing yourself to running, um, in shorter durations. That's exactly what I recommend. Just redevelop the stimulus, redevelop the habit. Um, I think that's, that's probably the perfect way to go about it. And if you listen to Bracken, he had said, he didn't say anything about interval work. He didn't say anything about, I don't even think tempo or threshold work. You're mostly just running off of like kind of how you feel, just going out for a run and just kind of enjoying it. So to speak. for those first two weeks, I do not script anything quality. If I'm taking a true build to my yep. base. Um, but the one thing I do script are strides. Excel, some people call them accelerations, basically starting at a fast jog and accelerating it up to like 90 to 95% of your maximum speed, nowhere near sprinting, nothing that can hurt you, but just running fast for 10 to 20 seconds. I generally do those three or four times a week during my first two weeks. Okay. Just to keep the turnover going, keeping that run economy and efficiency, getting used yep. to stride. And it makes me feel good. I'm someone yeah. who's driven mentally by my quality days. Me too. And I enjoy that. And this gives me a mental dosage of that. And yeah, it keeps my turnover fast. It keeps me thinking about my form, gets me up on my toes. Uh, this is the kind of stuff you can do barefoot on grass. It just, it, it works on a lot of good things. Yeah. Yeah. Quality days are what keep me completely driven too. It's like a, like an addict just waiting for their next fix. It's like that in between those recovery runs are always kind of like a mental battle until I can pop another hard effort. It's wild that way. So I like that even finishing few times a week with those strides, it's a good idea. Um, so we're basically saying you're going to go out and you're going to run uh, at will. You're going to run steady. You're going to run with no structure for a few weeks. And again, you can be comfortable doing this right now. You don't have to feel like the pressure of time with because you have a race coming up. It's okay to just run without a plan for a two to four week period without a problem right now. Um, now, if you're taking your rest week, like the first week in May, you might want to jump into some purposeful training a little sooner, but we're talking if you've taken it already or if you're taking it like this week or next week, maybe. Um, yeah, and I do want to reiterate that. This is the slow, big build approach. There are much more advanced, not advanced, but intensive versions of this, but this is the ground floor. If you want to do everything with a slow build and build piece by piece, this is what we're recommending. If you're taking some real time off, if you're building off of some previous work, obviously you can short cut a few steps here. Yep. Yeah. And you know, back in college, um, uh, we would base build all of June, July, and August. So I wouldn't run a single speed workout for three months. 
I wouldn't do anything relevant, like purposeful. If I felt good that day, I'd go pound a little bit. If I felt sluggish, I'd take it easy. I never had a scripted plan for three months. And then we would go into the cross country race season in September. And Chris, I would pop good races by the end of September already. And I had just started hitting speed work three, four weeks earlier with my team. And the point of that is, is that base building really is the foundation of your, of your fitness pyramid. So like, uh, the, I would err on the side of extending your base building over shortening it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, a three month base period before our college cross country season, and we all raced fantastic and we all mm-hmm. raced pretty well within a month of adding in hard speed work. So, um, so it's okay to sit in this phase a little while. It is. I'm a proponent of always keeping a small percentage, at least of the things you're going to be doing in your big build, your big part of your season all year round. That's where yeah. I differ from some people, but they're not massive days. That's adding four by 200 after an easy run or finishing the last mile or two hard of a, of a six mile run or an eight mile run or, or adding in hard strides after a run. I, I, I keep little pieces of that. But Kirk is right that you don't have to do that. I do it for mental stimulus and because I believe it makes you more injury um, proof to keep little pieces of those puzzle in place, but you can go without it. And then moving from base, you just keep building that up. You keep building your volume until you hit what you think your maximum volume, your workload's going to be. And I'm a big proponent of threshold work. I think it's an easy thing to add in that you can do indefinitely without peaking. And you can do it in any form. You can do threshold work flat, off-road, uphill, downhill, on the bike, on the rower. It doesn't matter. And you can do it two times a week for six, eight, 12 weeks without worrying about getting too fit. You can race great off threshold, but you will not sharpen too much off of it. And so that's the next thing that I prioritize is a threshold building block, four to six weeks of prioritizing my threshold work. Yeah. And uh, if you're jumped in in one of these later episodes um, and haven't listened to some of our first ones, we do like a training terminology uh, episode. um, One of our first training Tuesdays, go back and listen to that. So you know what threshold work is. But, um, and that, and my next question, you actually jumped, you knew exactly where I was going with this was, all right, we've done our base building. Now, how is that transition between base building to like our first race go? And I couldn't agree with you more like threshold work is king at this point. You're getting to like that high zone three or zone four work. You're keeping that heart rate elevated for more extended efforts. You're never... you're never really going too anaerobic in your workouts. You're looking to stay high, high, high anaerobic. Um, and I would say those are like 20 to 40 minute bouts of accumulated time of work. We're not doing these short fast. I'm going to go eight by a quarter mile, super hard with a lot of rest. This is minimal rest or like tempo runs as I like to call them or threshold runs and extended efforts. Like if you're talking like you're going out and racing and racing is a 10 out of 10 effort, you're sitting at that like seven, seven and a half effort for extended durations. Um, that's how I describe it without getting too technical. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to, I like to do that exact same thing. I always think about my breathing on threshold runs. I should be breathing very fast and I should never be gasping. Yep. The moment I start to gasp or to wheeze or to have my stomach like burn, that's one notch too much. And I back off. So that, that's always, I, I'm always checking heart rate on my threshold runs, but my true like hard cap is gasping. As soon as my breathing gets ragged, that's too hard. And I back off. And I like to, I like to hit it twice a week. I like to do a three to six week 
threshold buildup. And I like to do threshold intervals and threshold runs um, in the same week for three to six straight weeks. I come out of that feeling just like bulletproof, like I can handle whatever's to come. And yep. so I, I like to do threshold intervals where I run it slightly faster than what my threshold pace would actually be. And I break it up in intervals, 20 to 30 by 400 with like 30 to 45 second recovery in between. Um, and then I just kind of progress that up. I go from 400s, you can go up to eights to 12s to miles. You can go four, six, eight thousand, twelve, just increasing the time you spend on each interval with short recovery in between. And you're, again, you're, you're looking for that 30 to 40 minutes of work. And then I balance that out with on the weekends doing threshold runs. You can do it by time or you can do it by miles. You can do four mile, then build to five, then build to six, or you can start with 20 minutes and build up to 40. But I'm basically running them at marathon pace or slightly mm -hmm. faster. It's not a it's not a fast run. It's a comfortably hard where you feel pretty invigorated afterwards. You feel pretty positive about yourself rather than falling apart. Yeah. Let's give people a little more tangi uh, tangible uh, there. You mentioned, okay, I'm going to go do potentially like 20 to 40 quarter mile repeats mm -hmm. at like a reasonable effort with shorter rest. So let's say you were going out and you were going to just do just a rock star gritty 10 by a quarter mile on the track going as hard and fast as you could. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's say you, what would you be shooting for there? Let's say 65. 65. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So to give people an idea of what we're talking about, let's say when you're really going after it and you're going for peak fitness, you're running these in 65, what would be your time for your quarter mile intervals during this threshold work comparatively? 85? 80 to 85, 80? yeah. So uh, yeah 5, 5.20 to 5.40 pace, uh, right. depending on where my fitness is. And I'm just trying to click off a quarter with perfect form. It's only 400 meters. It's short. It's over in less than, than two minutes for most people. It's under in less than 90 seconds for a lot of people. So you you can focus in little bursts on just running perfectly and smoothly. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's what I thought you were going to say. So basically, you know, he's talking, he's running a minute per mile slower um, for like these 400 intervals during threshold work than he would be when he's trying to peak on the track with structured rest and more recovery between efforts. So um, again, this isn't like, necessarily like peak peak race pace effort um you're just getting some solid work in but sustainable work work you could yeah if he, he's doing 20 but he probably could do 30 or 40 of that if he had to he's kind of keeping his effort uh in check in a way it's not an interval day it's a tempo run broken up with short rests in between and that rest by the way during this phase we're not talking about like just standing there and resting. I think during threshold block work, like, so you've done your base, now we're in our threshold phase. You're never fully resting. You're always jog recovering, still moving your body. So we're not resting much. Well, I know you're going to come at me on this, I think. In yeah. my aspect, but I, that's how I look at it. Uh, I think that that's the great way to do it. If I do 30 or 40 seconds of rest, I actually just walk. Okay, you do. And if I do like 60 seconds rest, then I slow jog it. Or sometimes if I'm like around that 45 second area, I'll, I'll uh, finish my interval, jog for like 15, walk for 15, and then jog for 15 more. De really depending on how, how my heart rate's reacting. If I'm early in this build and my heart rate's not dropping very quick in between these, then I'll walk it. Um, and then if I'm later on it, uh, you know, by the time I get to the 800 to the thousands, a lot of times I'm jogging in between because uh, my heart rate's, is, my heart's getting in shape and it's dropping real quick. But yeah, I agree. You don't have to like, you shouldn't be working hard enough that you have to walk. You should be able to jog. Correct. And be totally fine.
And we're not looking for our heart rate to dip that low in between efforts either. Like we're looking for it to stay elevated in some capacity. Um, you're not seeing huge swings. Like if I were to do quarter mile repeats on the track with 90 seconds rest, so I could get a ton of work out of each quarter, my heart rate's going to be dropping like crazy before I start my next repeat. That's not happening in this threshold phase. Your heart rate is never going to get too low. Um, if it's done right, that's how, that's how I kind of look at it. So, so now we're going to sit in this threshold or this, this, uh, tempo phase, let's say through God, let's say through June, through the beginning mm -hmm. of June, I would say. Okay. And now June rolls around and I'm guessing we're going to at least have a closer idea of when we're racing by June. So now June rolls around, we've done a good month or six weeks of just tempo work. We're kind of itching to run fast now. We're feeling like that's kind of, you know, we've played that out and we're, we're not looking forward to our tempo run anymore. We're not looking forward to this stuff. It's time to start adding some other stuff in. Um, how are we approaching that? So what I like to do is I like to keep a tempo on either a Tuesday or Saturday, a threshold effort. And then the other one, Tuesday or Saturday now gets faster. So now you're looking at 10K pace, 5K pace, basically faster than race pace. So because in OCR, our race pace is closer to threshold than it is to 5K pace. Right. Um, but it's really closer to 5K effort than it is to threshold effort. So I like to balance the two. I have 5K or 10K based intervals Tuesday and I have threshold work Saturday and I cover the, <laughs> I cover the, the spectrum between those two. And you keep working like that. Now, what I like to do is I like to alternate standard work with OCR compromised running work. Yep. And taking one step back, if we're in the middle of June and we find out there's a race at the end of June, I actually wouldn't shortcut this process. I would stay in my threshold block, but I would make 50% of my workouts done in a compromised manner. Where now instead of cruise intervals, I'm doing cruise OCR intervals. Or instead of a 40-minute tempo run, now I'm doing a 40-minute Hobie tempo. But I'm still hitting the zones I'm trying to work on, but I'm adding a race skill component. So yeah. that you can still, and, and you and I have both raced off threshold work. There are mm -hmm. people who that is their peaking work. They do threshold work, especially for beasts and things like that. So there's nothing wrong with racing off that. But if we're talking full periodized build, we get done with the threshold work. And now we start adding in some sharpening work throughout there. Yeah, I'm glad you brought brought uh, into light the compromise running or the OCR work. And something I think we didn't hone in on enough during this threshold block before we jump into this sort of what we're talking about now is you should be getting like your carry and OCR skills in there uh, at a reasonable rate of work as well, even in the base phase, which I think you touched on actually now that I think about it, but um, throwing like a day in a week still where you're just, oh, I'm going to go run for five minutes and carry for three minutes and run for five minutes and carry for three minutes. And at, at like, it's sustainable. You're not trying to kill yourself. You're just putting in the time to get your body ready for more intense loads. So doing that during your threshold work as well is super, is super smart. Um, you mentioned the Hobie Temple run. I have, uh, I think I have two athletes hitting the Hobie Temple run today, probably as we speak. And they're both shaking in their boots for that one. That's a great threshold, uh, great threshold OCR workout. It is. And it's one you can make faster or slower. You can build that up to a sharpening workout by running it too hard and you can keep it under control, never gasping. And now it's a true threshold work. Now, yeah. we talked about keeping OCR work in there throughout the base phase and throughout the threshold phase. I keep OCR work and some redlining stuff in there, but you and I both know how I do that. And I use it as finishers, you know, mm -hmm. and talking with Hunter a lot over the years, I really respect his mind on things. And one of the things he's a proponent of is doing wad based finishers. 
to lifts or to workouts, you know, five to 10 minutes of just intense work. And that can be like more of a, a typical CrossFit wad where maybe you're doing thrusters and rowing or wall mm -hmm. balls and weighted lunges or something to just keep firing back and forth between two different movements or three movements and redlining, but you're doing it in such a digestible dose and you're not necessarily doing it with running in between that you stay used to working through full body fatigue and you get your compromise non-running in so that whenever we move to that OCR stage, we're not adding in a new stimulus. We're just doing it in a new modality. Yeah. And you're mentioning, um, you're mentioning doing this, like you'd go out for a six mile run that day and you'd come back home and then you'd throw in this quick, intense 10 minute watt at the end of your run, just to keep those systems in check, we'll call it. Or yeah. Or finishing up a lift. Let's say I have my upper lift day or a lower lift day, finishing up with a five minute, uh, EMOM or AMRAP, something to fire me up a little bit, but takes no pounding in my legs sticks with the concept of base building or threshold work. I'm not compromising any of those, but I'm just adding in a little bit of spices into the training to keep, yeah. keep that taste in there so that when it's time to really hit that meal, you're used to that taste. <laughs> I, like like that? That. I like that. I like that. Yeah. That made me chuckle. Yeah. Uh, you know, something we got to talk about Bracken is um, we're disregarding the strength aspect of this new phase we're in. Um, I know the, the strength for runners and OCR has been, has been done a good bit. Heck, I've been a guest on some podcasts and done it. Some we should probably dive. I don't think we should dive into it today. Um, we're talking more about your run work, but I think we should do an episode coming up about the strength phase because right now is a great time to, to maybe, you know, rebuild some of that strength that you're going to need later in the year. Um, so we should, well, we're going to, I'm saying we're not, we're not leaving that out because we're not, addressing that ourselves, but I think we should just keep it as a separate conversation. Yeah. Yeah. One good thing to note is that training is about balancing out the stresses and the recoveries. And in a base building phase, you have less stress and you can add another day or two per week of lifting. That's a great way. It's always like the, the scales of justice, right? And yep. as the intensity drops on one and that scale will come up, you can add some of that back in through lifting so that you're always used to stress and, and you're working on a skill at a time where it's not going to compromise anything else. Yep. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's uh, it's a very important part of the base phase. And even in your threshold phase, um, we're going to, we'll just know we acknowledge that that's part of this and we will dive into that at a later time. So, um, okay. So we're in June, we're starting to, uh, we're starting to see some races pop up. We're getting all jacked up and raw pumped, ready to race. Uh, we're starting to add in interval work. You're still keeping your threshold work in. Let's just give some examples quick of those interval workouts. Uh, just general, we can keep it generic. Now we're actually maybe taking a, some, some true rest. We're trying to run faster than race pace. Now we're dipping into our zone five heart rate. We're, we're hurting pretty good going, uh, you know, lactic on some of our workouts, uh, that sort of thing. Is that how you're describing it, Bracken? Yeah, it is. When I think of leaving the base phase and the transition phase, I think of entering a race preparation phase. Like we prepared for training, we transitioned into real training, and now the real training is preparing for the specific demands of a race. Like at the end of the day, periodization just means starting with broad concepts and getting closer and closer to race specific work as you get closer to the race so that you arrive on race day completely prepared for the test that is that course. And so July, let's say you're now getting ready for West Virginia. 
Now you're adding in specific hill work, specific descending work on terrain that you're about to do. You might be doing some run, swim, run workouts. You might mm -hmm. be doing some run, carry, swim workouts. Maybe you're building long-term for the regional championships in Tahoe. Now you're starting to move your threshold training to uphill and downhill work, but starting to translate it to the terrain you're going to use and the incline or the specific skill work of that race. For races like Tahoe, it may not mean running 5K paced work. It means doing fast race pace or faster work. And if race pace is marathon effort at Tahoe, threshold work can still be faster than race pace, but it better get more race specific at this point. Yeah. And we're, we're kind of generalizing like flat running when we're talking race pace here, like, oh, we're running 10K pace or that pace. But all this stuff also is effort based. And like for myself, you, most people out there, like we're running mountains or we're running on our incline trainer. Those are all effort based workouts, but it's not like just go run flat and easy during your base phase and then flat and threshold work during your threshold phase. Like you need to be doing a lot of this stuff on what terrain you have coming up. So like, uh, just to make sure you're clear on that, like you are hitting, you know, tempo or threshold work on your incline train, or you're picking a mountain that day and you're doing that sort of work. We're just making it simple by translating it to flat work. So you have an idea of the effort yeah. we're talking about. Um, so yeah, just to speak to your point, like starting that in specific work leading up to the race you have coming up. Um, if we're going to generalize this, basically we're talking maybe April, maybe the beginning part of May's is base phase. Uh, or May is base phase. Then we're talking May, uh, maybe first part of June is threshold phase. And then we're talking rest of June and into July, we're starting to get into our race specific work. If we're going to simplify it. Yeah. If that is how you're approaching the season where the national series matters and regional championships matter. Now there's the second athlete. Um, if we take a look historically, no one has uh, in the past five years, no one has won the world championship and a national series in the same year. Yep. I guess ever. It's never happened. And like historically, the person who wins world championship was not the person hitting every race throughout the year at max capacity. Hobie, John mm -hmm. Alvin, Cody Moat, Robert Killian, Hobie again, mm -hmm. Cody what? again, Robert what? Killian again. Uh, these people are John Alvin again. These people are either sacrificing their early season performance or not going to early season races. And so if you are thinking the regional championship or the world championship is my A goal, then this all gets prolonged a little longer. Now it's April, May, June base build, July, August threshold transition. Now September, October, November, we're starting to sharpen up a little bit. You know, Robert Killian is such a damn good example of that, Bracken. Like as much in recent times, as far as people know him, like his first year in the sport, I don't think his first race was until like summer, I believe. He jumped into his first Spartan race and then he got excited and started hitting the training hard and then really went after and ends up winning his, you know, the world championship, I think in 2015 that was. And then this last year, if you guys followed the 2019 season, I mean, Killian came out and took his lumps for half a year. He knew he wasn't race ready. He chose not to do those workouts that got him in peak fitness. He showed up to the race knowing I am not my best self today and I'm doing this on purpose because all that matters is Tahoe. He literally, a guy in the spotlight like Robert Killian, as much as he is, 
chose to take his lumps, chose to hold himself back, chose not to perform early when all the eyes were still on him so that he could show up at the end of the year and race like he wanted to. Like that's a shining example of being patient, being smart, periodizing your training properly for the races that truly matter. Sure, everybody was, you know, snickering a little bit like Robert Killian isn't himself. Nobody's saying that now. They all know exactly who that man is, right? So just that's a good lesson. It's a very good lesson following his progression. And there's and there's one more thing to keep in mind, and that is the season builds in steepness all throughout the season. So let's say maybe we get back in time for you. But is Utah on the on the? Is that a possibility still? Um, I'm gonna take a look and see when Utah is because I was actually as we're chatting, I was just wondering what the first race is going to be. So that's a good question. I'll look it up as we keep chatting. So let's say we get Utah. Let's say for the U.S.-based athletes, let's say we get Utah. Let's say we get West Virginia, and then we get Tahoe. So like it's mountainous, very hilly, very mountainous, yep. and then Dubai for the championships and yep. for Spartan or, you know, uh, Vermont for OCR Worlds. Um, so if you're following – OCR Worlds isn't that far after – Tahoe. So you can just build up your steepness and your duration and your set. But if you're going after Dubai, that is not the mountain race that that Tahoe is. And so you can have this big build that culminates in Tahoe. You can take your little down week and then you can rev back up speed work and get ready for that final build for the year. You know, I like that progression more doing like the like the mountain and hill races and then coming down to like a we're going to call it flatter race at the world champs, but I hear there's some rollers in there, but like that hill work's going to translate to Dubai much better than if we race flat all year and then finish with like a mountain course. So like all that hill training is still going to pay off for Dubai in some capacity. Yeah. Cause what happens every year you hit Seattle or Florida and then suddenly you hit big bear and there's carnage. That's <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Usually there's just some yeah train wrecks. Where have you prepped for big bear and Tahoe and then went down to Florida you might feel sluggish to some people, but there's not going to be carnage there. Um, July 18th is Utah. To the weekend of July 18th. Um, if I were a betting man, I'd say that's the first race we're back for. Yeah, I would. I would say that's looking likely. My favorite, going to altitude and racing in the mountains. That's just right up my wheelhouse. Can't wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's our. I think that's our best bet because other than that, I think. Before that, what's the June race? We have – no, there is none. We have – Stadium series. Yeah, but as far as the and U.S. National Series, series – Nothing yeah. in the national. So we miss Seattle. Then we're going to miss uh, Montana in May. There's nothing yep. in June. Then July would be – so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, 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 yeah, we, we kind of have our, our roadmap. You base build for three – I mean, for six to nine weeks, and then you threshold build for three to six more. And then you transition to the race-specific demands. And throughout there, you keep sprinkled in some skill work. It doesn't have to be done at max capacity. It can be done aerobically, but you work your carries, you work your crawls, you work your strength, you work your transitions. And you can keep it spicy with a few wads or or um, finishers throughout that time. Yep. Yeah. I uh, I, th I think that's a good, that's good framework from start to finish. Like just to, just to, to go back to the beginning then. So, uh, step one, if you haven't been training a ton and now you're finally ramping things up, keep doing what you're doing. Okay. It's a, you're allowed to continue to run more. Now, if you haven't taken a, a true recovery week, uh, yet take one now, if you haven't recently, 
or take one in the next couple of weeks and get it out of the way. If I were your coach, I'd be recommending that to you by the end of the month for sure. Um, then we go into your threshold or your uh, or your base phase after that, then your threshold phase, and then uh, start coming around June, July. We're talking about uh, race specifics and getting back to the nitty gritty. Did I miss anything there with the uh, overview? No, and it, it, and it is pretty simple, especially because OCR centers around more of the threshold effort. You can get this build a little bit wrong and still get it right. Mm -hmm. You can only be in your threshold work block when training, when racing comes back around and you'll race just fine off that. Yep. And if you start finding out that you work great off that, you can keep extending that block and just working more and more on skills during it. And that can get you ready for world championships, especially yeah. since beasts are in play 13 mile, two plus hour races, you're going to be okay. So even if you're a little hazy on what your sharpening should look like, you can get 90% of the way there minimum off just your threshold work if you're doing compromise running with that. So yep. don't don't get too too bogged down by, oh, how do I sharpen off that? That's stuff that we'll cover more in depth when we get closer to that. But also know that for years, people have raced well without sharpening because our races are so long. If I had to pick one or the other, like I'm going to do hard, fast, short interval work, or I'm only going to do threshold work. I had to pick one to race my best. I would pick threshold work every single time as being more important. So layering that in, and like I said, that like you said, that's a great, even like sometimes that is a peaking phase for a lot of athletes. Um, I assume you would pick threshold work over short. I mean, as far as long effort race performance. Yeah. If I'm racing 10 miles or longer and I could only pick one thing, it would be threshold work because you can get so creative with it, with interval work, long work kind of chunked up like you can run three by 5k at threshold you know like mm -hmm. you, that's kind of right split in the ground between you can do compromise threshold you can do threshold descents and climbing there's just so much you can do and yep. so yeah i would i would the stain power of threshold work would would let me choose that yeah that's same with me and as far as you mentioned something earlier in the podcast about hey if it'd be a good time to time trial before taking a break do you feel like time trials, because again, some people need to feel like they're getting their racing fix or their hard effort fix because we don't have that right now. Do you think time trialing has its place in these phases before we race again? I like to time trial at the end of every phase. Okay. Um, for two purposes. One, I like to know exactly where I'm at, um, both with fitness compared to previous buildups I've done and for pacing purposes. We talk, I talk a lot about like 10K pace or half kit marathon or threshold or marathon. You know exactly where you're at based off your time trials. Mm -hmm. There's so many calculators, you can plug in a result and it'll tell you your correlation to other events. So I, I love it for that. And the second is because I believe you can lose your racing edge, especially mm -hmm. if you're doing a lot of threshold. The more threshold and long you do, the more you have to balance it out with some kick you in the teeth efforts in order to stay sharp mentally and keep your hand on the flame during a race. And so, yeah, if you're doing a ton of VO2 max work, probably don't have to time trial as much, but it, we don't do a ton of that during base and, thre and threshold work. So yeah, I think time trialing mentally and for training metrics is indispensable. Yep, yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna mention is time trialing uh, between each phase. And, and I think it's important and, and it's okay to throw in a really hard effort at the end of like a base phase. Like this isn't like, Oh, you only get to run easy in zone two forever. Like it's okay to throw those efforts in there because you want to be able to track your progress. And if you're anything like me, like 
looking forward to and simultaneously dreading those bigger efforts, like kind of keep me on track still. So throwing on, on time trials, uh, on your calendar is definitely recommended. Um, we usually look at the 5k as like an easy, it's a good standard, uh, for whatever you're looking to race. I think that's, that's the one I go to first. Um, do you go to any other time trials bracket other than the 5k? Yeah, I, I use the one mile time trial a lot. Uh, I think it's a little more accessible at times. The 5k is a huge mental effort or the one mile you just focus for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And I really like that I can throw it in with less damage. Like I can throw that in on a, on a Tuesday before a Thursday quality day. And someone can like, if they're coming off a threshold block and they know they've increased their 5k and maybe they did a 5k race, I can throw a one mile in there too. And they can be like, Oh, my speed didn't really erode. Or they can find out, Oh, my speed eroded a lot, but it's a, it's a short little test that doesn't require much um, recovery. And then I basically have a climbing version of the 5k, which is the treadmill challenge. That's yeah. still 15 minutes long and burns you up. And then I like, I've been doing more and more of long run time trials. Pick your favorite long run, 10 plus mile loop, course, trail, whatever, and hit that at, after each um, training cycle. And I like that one a lot uh, paired with the one mile because you get both ends of the spectrum. You can see exactly what a training block did to your system. If you did a, uh, if you tested your mile and long run time trial at the end of your peaking, then did base building and test it again, and then did threshold and test it again. You can see exactly what each pace of training is doing, and you can avoid falling into some of the the traps of, oh, I haven't done speed in so long, I have to really pound speed. Well, if your mile hasn't really eroded too much because your aerobic capacity has risen so much, maybe you don't have to sacrifice as much time. But paired long run and mile together, it gives me a lot of info to see what exactly do I need to work on and what does my body respond to. I like that. I like that that opposite ends, ends of the spectrum. And then you can also assume every distance in between has improved along the way as well. So you know your 5K will have improved. You know you know everything else in the 10-mile the ten mile time trial. Well, it seems long. Um, it probably is closer to like race duration sim as far as Spartan goes for a lot of like the national series uh, races. So I can get on board with that 10-mile. Um, I like I like that. And you'd be surprised how that, how that sort of training – uh, Bracken and I have talked about this, I think once, but I hadn't even done sharpening workouts. This is a few years ago. I was doing a lot of longer stuff and hopped on the track for a mile time trial and popped my best mile in years just because my overall fitness was good. I was doing a lot of threshold work, a lot of tempo work, a lot of hill work. Um, so they should go hand in hand, I think. Yeah. And it's such a, a confidence booster. Let's say you've just, like you said, been doing your long stuff and suddenly you break five in a mile. You know, for there's some guys that you have in training sometimes have never broke five or girls never broke six. And suddenly she runs a 550 and she's like, holy crap, I'm training for a super beast. But I know if it gets out hot or on some of these descents, like I can turn over a bit. And it's just that added confidence boost. Yep. And then what happens when you start sharpening and adding those faster workouts in? Oh, baby, you be running fast. That's right. Yeah. I have a nine mile loop that I do. It's, it's hilly. It has like 700 feet of gain throughout it. It's semi-technical. That's, that's hilly for the Midwest. That's about as good as it gets here. But that one, it's, it's, I can run that one. I could probably run it every other week for six weeks before I finally even hit my pacing right on it. So it's not like a mile where you go out hard, you hang on and you don't really want to do it that often because it takes such a focus the whole time where in this one, it's like run run high end aerobic right on threshold for like the first half and then rip it up. And next time I know, yeah, I could probably start five minutes earlier. So you mm -hmm. can keep improving that one and it's not mentally a burner. 
Yeah. You know what I wish? I wish I had a mountain in my backyard to do a test like that on. I sure do wish. I don't think I get more than 100. If I leave from my house, Bracken, I don't get over. If I have to go over 12 miles before I can get over 100 feet of gain uh, throughout my I drive 40 minutes to get to this loop. Yeah, I mean, I can I can drive to get to some of these loops, but but I think you could do this. You could do that testing format on like a longer mountain or something like that yep. as well, uh, instead of just a flat loop. Um, wow, we got we're almost to an hour, Bracken. What do we uh, what are we missing here with this whole undisclosed race date build? We have forty seconds to stay under our one hour time limit for Training Tuesday. So I don't think we have anything in there other than like my, my constant thing I add that during this training, during the base build, during testing, this is your time to sort out your equipment for your races. You have all the time in the world on your hands. Start testing your shoes out, test your gear, test your chafing, all these things. This is what you gotta find out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh hey guys, we've gotten a lot of messages in the last week or two. Um, a lot of good feedback from some of the episodes. A few more questions. We, uh, your feedback and your questions drive our future conversations. So, like, keep reaching out with any questions you have, or positive or negative feedback. What you enjoyed, what you didn't. I know a lot of you are messaging with takeaways you've gotten from uh, some of our past episodes. Uh, keep doing that. If you're thinking about messaging us and you're hesitant, like, just do it because uh, maybe we'll end up covering your topic coming up. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for the support and thank you for the topics. It can be daunting sometimes to think like, man, we have 52 weeks in a year. That's 52 training Tuesdays. I couldn't possibly come up with 52 things that people want to hear talk about. <laughs> but when you tell us what you want to hear, that makes our life a whole lot easier. One message spurred this entire episode, for example. So maybe your message could be the uh, the next catalyst to our next episode. That's right. So reach out if you have questions. Obviously, we're not trying to pimp ourselves out here, but Kirk and I do this for a living. So like, if you have interest in coaching, this is a great time to sign up, even if it's not with us. Like Dennis Welch does excellent coaching. Richard Diaz, Yancey, Mark Botris, um, Faye Stenning, Ian Hosick. There's a host of coaches out there. This is a great time to partner with someone if you've been on the fence for a while. Otherwise, message us and we're happy to answer questions. Yes, we are, people. Thanks for listening today. We'll catch you on Friday.